I am so proud and excited. I uh, asked my wife uh, several weeks ago if she might want to give the message on Mother's Day. She hasn't done that for a number of years. And we've, uh, uh, she is a credentialed minister with the Assemblies of God, uh, like I am. And she is a woman uh, from the time I met her and all through our almost 46 years of marriage that she has been a lover of studying the Word of God and applying it to her life. She was uh, a mother that uh, raised five daughters, uh, that uh, all five are involved, uh, four in pastoral ministry with their husbands, and the other one involved with ministry and teaching. And so she did a good job. I'm proud of her. And uh, she's been a wonderful helpmate to me. She's been, as Proverbs 31.10 says, who can find a virtuous woman for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. Um, uh, so uh, who can, he can lack, uh, have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And that is my wife in a nutshell. And I love her. And I pray a blessing on her today as she ministers the word. She's not always comfortable being in front. She likes to be in the background. But every now and then, I make her come up to the front. And she does a good job with that. So God bless you, honey. Thank you, Tim, um, for the opportunity to speak to everybody here today on Mother's Day. Um, Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers, uh, both present and uh, any mothers that could be future. Um, today I'm speaking a message that I heard, well, it's taken in part from a message I heard back by George Wood. He preached it in 2009 at the 53rd General Council. He used it to preach to all ministers but it applied to women and mothers today. And so I'd like to take this opportunity to present it. Um, I know that each one of us goes through many difficult and distressing things in our lives. For some of us, it is physical trials. For others, it is difficult or trying family issues. It could be something personal in which the only person who knows about it is you and God. Even well-known people go through trials and difficulties. Many times people wonder if their life is accomplishing anything at all. I want to encourage you today by telling you about a person in the Bible whose life was marked by disappointment and a lack of love. I never heard a sermon on either her or her life and accomplishments before. She probably wondered over and over why she was put on earth. Her name is Leah, and her story is found in Genesis 29 through 49. However, the legacy she left us is found throughout the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Most of us get very little of what we want from life, and Leah is no different than that. She had a very rough life, and it was not a bed of roses for her, but yet she managed to persevere and make her way through. Her name, Leah, meant weary or tired and possibly wild cow. She had a younger sister named Rachel whose name meant you 
or a female sheep. Rachel was considered an unusual beauty in comparison to Leah. The name cow probably meant that she was not that good looking. In Genesis 29:17, it says, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Some translators say that Leah's eyes were weak, which could allude to being nearsighted or having poor eyesight or just lacking the sparkle that Rachel had in her eyes. That's how many of us see ourselves. We're not that good looking. We don't have a sparkle. Someone else is better. Someone else is more attractive. Somebody else is more charismatic than what we are. Someone else has better behaved children, a better job, enjoys greater favor, earns more money, has better wealth, health, a better house, or sees greater results in anything they do. We are always comparing ourselves to somebody else. In Leah's case, she was being compared to her sister Rachel. Genesis 28:18 says, Jacob loved Rachel. Love at first sight. How wonderful to think of. So he agreed to work for her father, who was Laban, for seven years in order to pay Laban for getting Rachel in marriage. In Genesis 29:20, it says, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now, Jacob was a schemer, and to think that Laban was his uncle, and Laban was also a schemer. And probably due to his age, Jacob was out-schemed by his uncle Laban. Um, due to local customs, the oldest daughter should marry first. Some people believe that today, but not everybody. And due to the fact that the oldest daughter was not beautiful, Laban cooks up a scheme to substitute his elder daughter Leah for his younger daughter Rachel on the wedding night. We do not know the details of how this happened, but due to the fact they had no electricity back then and the wedding ceremony usually took place at night and very heavy veils, when Leah went in on the wedding night Jacob did not know the switch had been made until the next morning when the sun came up in Genesis 29:25. Jacob must have been very angry when he rushed out to confront Laban. I think anybody would be angry if you thought you were marrying one person and ended up getting somebody else. Laban, uh, in Genesis 29:27. Laban says to Jacob to fulfill her week and we will give you this one also, meaning his daughter Rachel, for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. He had served seven years already and now his, his future father-in-law wanted him to serve another seven years for Rachel. So Jacob agreed to his terms in order to have his beloved Rachel. And so the next week... Rachel became uh, Jacob's wife. Now, how do you think Leah felt about that? 
She was never asked nor consulted about anything concerning her future. She had been forced through local custom to obey her father. She had given herself to Jacob and then has to endure two indignities. Number one, her husband Jacob did not love her and he did not want her. And one week later, Jacob marries her younger sister Rachel in a second marriage. In Genesis 29:30, it says, Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Leah is probably very hurt, very ashamed, and depressed woman. She is probably crying alone in her tent, suffering the pain of a father who traded her to someone else and rejection from the man she loved. Is life fair for Leah? Absolutely not. However, as time went by, Rachel was infertile. In other words, she could not bear children. Since life at the time was measured by how many male children you had, Jacob, in desperation, turned to Leah. She became pregnant and had a son. Her son she named Reuben, which means behold a son. But Leah explained it this way. The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Genesis 29, 32. But still her husband did not love her. Simon was her second son that was born. His name means heard. Rachel, Leah explained it this way. Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. Genesis 29, 33. But did Rachel or Jacob love her anymore? No, he did not. She eventually had a third son. She said his name was Levi, which means attached. And Leah explained it this way. Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Genesis 29:34. Still, her husband did not love her. She finally had a fourth son. His name was Judah, which means praise. And Leah explained it this way. Now I will praise the Lord. Genesis 29, 35. After four sons, she gave up on her husband ever loving her and decided to praise God anyway. She would not give up. After Leah has four sons, other circumstances came into play. Rachel took her servant Bilhah, who has two sons, which was born to Jacob. Their names were Dan and Naphtali. Then Leah, not to be outdone, gave her servant Zilpah to Jacob. And she had two sons named Gad and Asher. Then for whatever reason, God opened Leah's womb again, and she has two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun, and eventually a daughter named Dinah. Zebulun, which was explained by Leah this way, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. However, still Jacob did not love her. Genesis 30 verses 1 through 21. Rachel eventually gets pregnant and has a son named Joseph. 
Then she gets pregnant again with Jacob's 12th son. She dies giving birth to Benjamin. Genesis 30, 22 through 24 and 35, 16 through 20. Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrathah. That is another word for Bethlehem. Genesis 35, 19. Leah outlives Rachel. We do not know when Rachel died, but she was buried in a cave in Machpelah, where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah were buried, and were where Jacob requested to be buried next to Leah, not next to Rachel, who was buried in Bethlehem. Genesis 35, 19, 49, 29 through 31. In the end, Leah has won Jacob's heart and love. We don't know when this happened. We don't know if it was right before her death, right after her death. Some men do not appreciate their wives until after they're dead and gone. But there is a popular Israeli song called, I Love Thee, Leah. And in it, Jacob is singing. Here many days have gone by, and my two hands have become weary. And your two eyes have become beautiful, like the eyes of Rachel. I love thee, Leah. I love thee, proud. If I forget thee, Leah, my name shall not be Israel. What a tremendous transformation took place from the beginning of the marriage to the end of her life. What caused this transformation? The first thing was that she compared herself to everyone else's expectations. Leah was not beautiful. Rachel was. Everyone was looking at the outward appearance. It was only natural that Leah would look at the outward appearance too. However, you're talking about God, and God never looks at the outward appearance. He always looks deeper into the heart and soul of a person. 1 Samuel 16:7. Theologian Abraham Cooper said, there are two kinds of beauty. There is a beauty which God gives at birth and which withers as a flower. And there is a beauty which God grants. That kind of beauty never vanishes but blooms eternally. Leah had the second kind of beauty, the kind that never vanishes. I am sure that all have, of us have known someone in our lives who has compared us to what we have been, to their ideas of what we have been called to, and they found us lacking the ability to do it for whatever reason. It doesn't matter if it was a friend or a high school bully or a parent or someone who should have been a mentor to you. I know I have had these people in my own personal life. Whether it was done willingly or unknowingly, they have told you lies from the devil to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There will always be those people who compare you to others and will find you lacking what they think will make you successful. God gives everyone gifts through the Holy Spirit. My gifts are not the same as your gifts. Your gifts are not the same as my gifts. He gives us the gifts that he knows are the best gifts for us to accomplish 
what he wants us to accomplish with our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. We should not desire to have what God has seen fit, not seen fit to give to us. No gift that is given by God is better or worse than another gift. All gifts in God's eyes are the same. But we as human beings want to pine away at what God has not given us rather than what we have. When we are always comparing ourselves to someone else, we always find ourselves lacking. We will always find someone who has better clothes or a bigger house or more money or more education or is prettier than we are or whatever. We never compare ourselves to someone who has less than what we do. Ungratefulness is the root of comparison. Leah needed to get her eyes off of Rachel and see herself as God saw her. God sees us as full of potential. How does God see each one of you? What does he see in your heart? Does he see you as loving, kind, good, joyful, peaceful, faithful, patient, gentle, and full of self-control? That is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Do you have thoughts that are noble, trustworthy, true, just, and pure, lovely, and of a good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy? Those are the things our minds are to dwell on, Philippians 4, 8. Those are the things that God desires us to have in our hearts. Secondly, life is not always fair. Circumstances are very rarely ever in our control. They were not under Leah's control either. She could not help it if her looks were less desirable than Leah's. I'm sorry, than Rachel's. Her sister was more captivating than she was. Her father forced her into a marriage for his own convenience. Her husband had sex with her, but did not love her. Certainly, the circumstances Leah found herself in was well beyond her control. But she kept on persevering through her trials and tribulations. Life is not fair to us many times, but we cannot see ourselves as victims of our circumstances or we will be pushed to the point of despair. We need to understand that we cannot control all of the circumstances in our lives. When unexpected things pop up in our lives, we need to keep persevering through them, no matter how much they get us down. The Bible calls these circumstances the trials and tribulations in our lives. James 1-2 says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God allows us to go through the trials in our life to teach us things that we could never learn any other way. Sometimes it is through our hardships and circumstances that we are able to gain new insights and perspectives. Many times we find that only when we come to the end of ourselves do we then learn to rely upon God. Many times we also forget that God is with us 
all of the time. In Joshua 1, 5 through 9, God tells us over and over that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In the last verse, he tells us to be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Isaiah 41, 10 and 13, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. God holds your right hand. When we feel overwhelmed and think that life is unfair to us, then we need to remember that Jesus must have thought when he was suffering and dying for us on Calvary. Life was not fair to Jesus at that time. He was a man who never sinned, but yet he was paying for all the sins of mankind for all time. Talk about unfair. That was unfair. But he took everything they dished out to him for you and for me. And I, for one, am glad that he did. For without his death and his life, there would be no salvation for me and no salvation for you. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For this, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is still on the throne, no matter what, and he still knows what he is doing, even though we do not. In Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. God has our best interest at his heart, even though we may think he is being unfair to us at the time. Another thing to look at is Leah's faith in God. At the beginning of the story, it wasn't very noticeable. When we look at her in response to her son's births, at the beginning she was focused on her husband's love for her. The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. It wasn't until her fourth son was born that she began to turn her thoughts and attentions and trust towards the Lord. Now I will praise the Lord. It was at this time that she fully began to trust in the Lord for her future. She seems to have become resigned to the fact that she was unloved. And instead of dwelling on her husband's love and acceptance of her, she began to trust that God had everything in his control. So she began to praise God for his circumstances in her life. 
She seems to understand that God had her best interest at heart and he would help her. Her focus seems to become more on her growth and character in the Lord and doing what pleased God. Later, when Jacob left Laban's household to go out on his own, he took his wives and their children and all their possessions with them. At this time, Rachel stole the household items that were her father's. Genesis 31, 19. We never read that Leah did anything to hurt Laban, even though she knew that her father had sold them and had used the money he had received for them. They knew that they would receive nothing from him. Genesis 31, 14 through 16. It was okay because Leah's trust was in the Lord. Finally, Leah persevered through all her trials and tribulations, no matter what they were, and no matter how hard they seemed to her at the time. She was determined to love her husband, even though he didn't love her. The Bible says in Psalms 55:22, to cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Leah cast her burdens on the Lord and he took care of her. Jeremiah 32:17 says that there is nothing too hard for you, meaning God. It took her years to finally get what she had wanted all the time, which was her husband's love. As the song, I love you, Leah, said, your two eyes have become like Rachel's. I love you, Leah. She overcame all the odds, and in the end, she won out over her beautiful sister, Rachel. Leah's story teaches us that the effect of our lives cannot be measured within the time frame of the few decades that we are on earth. Leah's story, like all of ours, fits into a long-range tapestry that God himself is weaving together. What was Leah's legacy, you ask? George Wood sums up her legacy as follows. The priestly line of Israel comes through Leah's third son, Levi. In that line comes Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Without Leah, there would be no Levi, no Moses, no Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible which Moses wrote. No Ten Commandments, no exodus from Egypt, no prototype of a high priest which Jesus would model his intercessor, intercessory ministry for us. Leah's descendant Caleb was one of two who entered the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of disobedience. At the age of 85, Caleb said, I am still as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. Joshua 14, 11 and 12. Caleb had the same spiritual makeup and tenacity in, that Leah had. Never give up, never set down, never give in to self-pity, never give in to resignation or defeat. Centuries later, another descendant of Leah's received a blessing. 
Boaz becomes the great-grandfather of King David. When Boaz redeems Ruth, the elders say to him, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. Ruth 4.11 However, Leah did more to build up the house of Israel than Rachel did. It was Leah's fourth son, Judah, who became the ancestor of King David and King Solomon. Without Leah, there would be no Judah, no Boaz, no David, no Solomon, no Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, or Ecclesiastes. From Leah comes all the high priests, all the priests, and the Levites of Israel, all the kings of Judah, including Asa, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Also, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were probably priests and therefore from Leah. Nehemiah was probably from Judah and also from Leah. Ezra the scribe was a priest and from Leah. Without them, there would be no books of the Bible that they wrote which bore their names. Everyone in the Christmas story came from Leah. Mary and Joseph comes from Judah. Elizabeth and Zechariah come from Levi. John the Baptist also comes from Leah. The land of Zebulun, including Nazareth, which where Jesus grew up. So without Leah, there is no David, no Judah, no Jesus. So we have no salvation from sin. The spread of the gospel comes through Barnabas, a descendant of Levi. And who do you think raised Benjamin, the baby born to Rachel when she died? Probably Leah. She raised him as her own. From Benjamin comes the first king, Saul, as well as the New Testament apostle, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. As I said to you before, you cannot measure the impact of Leah's life within her earthly time span. And you cannot measure your life that way either. So where are we in this story? What can we learn from this story? You cannot judge things on the external appearance. God looks deeper than the outward appearance. We need to see ourselves as God created us in the image of God. We are not on this earth for some abstract reason. God placed us here specifically for this time and season of life. Who are we to judge Almighty God and decide whether our life is fair or not? We are all being worn, woven into the tapestry of God's design. Just as Leah couldn't see where her life was taking her down through the years, we also cannot see where our life is going beyond today. The choices we make today will impact others long after we are gone. How are we raising our children? How are we treating our husbands? How are we treating other people? Whether we keep on the path that God has laid out for us, it all has an impact on the future that only God can see. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but all to all who have loved his appearing. As a final thought, 
the name Leah also has an Assyrian meaning. It means mistress of the manor or ruler, meaning a queen or a princess. God made something beautiful of Leah's life, just as he seeks to do the same with you and me. Do you know how pearls are formed? A pearl is formed whenever a foreign substance gets inside an oyster and begins to irritate the mantle of the oyster. The oyster's natural reaction is to cover up the protect, to protect itself. It covers the irritant with layers of the same mother of pearl substance that is used to create the shell. This eventually performs, forms the pearl. Leah suffered a lot through the irritations that were in her life, things that she did not ask for or want. Revelation 21, 12 and 21 says that in heaven there are 12 gates and that each gate is made up of a single pearl. Six of those gates will stand as a tribute to the good that emerged from Leah's life, six of her sons. Great pearls come out of great pain. What will stand as a tribute in heaven to what you are going through? What pearls will be formed through the adverse and difficult circumstances of your life? Don't let any difficulties or hardships or sickness or sorrows keep you from following after Christ to the very end of the race. Don't worry that you cannot see the tapestry that God is weaving. He knows what he's doing, and he will complete a beautiful work in the end. May our legacy stand as a tribute to God, just as Leah's did.